Well, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and um, I, too, just want to welcome you here this morning. Um, if you're a guest here with us, thanks for, thanks for joining us, and uh, we're really glad that you're here, and I uh, pray that God just does a, just a great thing in, in your heart and in all of our lives here this morning. Well, today we're starting a new series that we're really excited about, and uh, several years ago, a guy by the name of Dr. Henry Cloud, a Christian psychologist and Christian author, uh, he wrote a book called Nine Things You Simply Must Do, and uh, at that time, uh, Pastor Steve read through that book and, um, and really felt like, wow, these nine things that he identifies as the things that are present in, the, in a person's life who is thriving, Steve said, wow, these are so rude in Scripture, and the book has those ties as well. And he said, you know, at that, at that time, he said, we should do a series through this book. And, and fast forward several years, this year he took a small group through it, again, saw it be very beneficial for that group. And so, so we decided to pull the trigger on that. Um, so we're in this series, Nine Things You Simply Must Do, and uh, we're going to be unpacking these nine different uh, principles each week. And one of the things that we know about what Jesus said is this. Jesus said, I, I want you to not just go through life and have an average life, but Jesus said, I want you to be able to have a life that thrives. And um, so what we're doing is we're saying, okay, how do these principles apply to this life that Jesus described as, as thriving? And so the first principle that we're going to look at this week is called dig it up. And uh, we'll unpack this as we go. But in essence, it's this. It's that, that God has put in each one of us a treasure. That God has put in each one of us. He's wired us up with different gifts and talents. But lots of times those gifts and talents get buried um, by different things. And we'll talk about what those are that come up in our lives and so what do we need to do? We need to dig it up. We need to go back and we need to say, okay, God, what is the thing that you've put in me? What's the first step that I can take to experience this life? In John 10, that you, you said, wow, I want my people, I want my church to be able to experience a life that's not average, but a life that's truly thriving. And so that's where we're headed in this series. I want us to pray, though, before we start, um, before we jump into Matthew 25. It's a phenomenal passage that we're going to look at this morning. But I want us to pray not only for this morning, but also for this entire series, that God would just really bless, bless us and, and would lead us and would really even speak to us. Um, Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2, really stuck out to me this week. It says this, the Lord's speaking, and the Lord says, this is the one I esteem, uh, the one who is humble, the one who is contrite in spirit, and thirdly, the one who trembles at my word. And so I just want us to pray this morning that we would have that kind of an attitude as we approach God's word, that our hearts would be humble, contrite in spirit, and that we would tremble at the word of God, that we would look at these words that Jesus spoke in Matthew 25, and we would say, okay, wow, God, that's a message from you. And so, whoa, humbly, we just, we submit ourselves to your authority this morning. So would you pray with me, and, um, and let's, and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Um, thank you that you've gathered us together and Lord, we just want to pray that you would just do a great work in each one of us here. We pray, God, that you would change us this morning. Lord, we thank you for the fact that when we come here and gather and when we seek you this morning, you know us by name. You, you're not distant from us. You know some people in this room have had a great week. Others are struggling big time. And so, Lord, we just lay all of our joys, maybe all of our sorrows, our challenges before you. And, Lord, we just say in these next moments, we say humbly, Lord, really trembling even at the fact that our, our loving God would speak to us. We say, God, would you speak? And so would you even have a conversation right now with the Lord? And would you just say something as simple as this? Would you say, Lord, I humbly come before you. And, Lord, now I'm, I'm, I'm asking you, God, would you speak to me? And so would you have that kind of conversation just on your own with God?
Father, thank you that we can trust you this morning. Thank you that when we say a prayer like that and when we mean it and we humbly come before you, Lord, you show up and you answer that. And so we pray, we commit this time to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, one of the overwhelming realities, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, one of the things that you often feel is the sense of gratitude. If you stop long enough to really ponder the greatness of who God is, it leads you to a point where you're thankful. If you really stop and you, you ponder who God is and, and the fact that you're his creation and, and the fact that he, he made you and he crafted you uniquely, it kind of blows your mind and it leads you to a place of, of extreme gratitude. If you think about who you are, even in your and you're standing with God. Um, if you're a follower of Christ, you know that you're a child of God. Maybe that you've been, you've been restored. Maybe you got a fresh start in Christ. You've been made new. Um, God took you from one place and he puts you in another. And, and when you think about that, it leads, you to, it leads you to gratitude. It leads you to say, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm, I'm grateful. If you really ponder it long enough, the fact that a holy, loving, and just God The fact that you can stand before him and have a right relationship with him through Jesus Christ, if you ponder that really long enough, I mean really kind of think about what that means for you and I, both now and for eternity, it can can really lead you to a place of tears, tears of joy, tears of gratitude. But coupled right with that, for a follower of Christ that's committed to Christ, there's also this sense of, okay, gratitude on the one hand, but there's also this very real sense of, of a weight, of the weight of responsibility, you could say. There's this sense of, okay, okay, God, I'm so thankful for who I am and how you've made me and gifted me and what you've done in my life, but I'm also, whoa, in light of that, whoa, I'm also wait, bearing this responsibility for this life that you've given me. I know that you've wired me up in a certain way, and, and so now what I do with my life, it, 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 it does matter. And it's not so much that I, I feel this weight of responsibility because I ought to, but it's in light of how grateful I am, in light of my gratitude, I take this weight and I say, not out of obligation, but just out of pure joy, I say, I submit to you and I I want you to use my life, I want you to take me for for what you've created me to be. I want to live for you, you can say it that way. I've heard a quote this week, it goes like this, it says, what you are is God's gift to you and what you become is your gift to God. What you are is God's gift to you. Think about this. You're renewed. You've been restored. You could say this. You've been redeemed. That's God's gift to you. When you think about how he's wired you and made you uniquely, it's beautiful, right? That's who you are. That's God's gift to you. But what you become, what you do with you, that's your gift to God. It's as though that's the way that you say what you do with you. It's, it's as though you're writing this thank you note and you're saying, oh God, thank you for how you made me. Thank you for what you've done to me. And now what I become, that's my thank you note to you. That's my expression. Romans chapter 12 said, it's like a living offering. It's like you're, 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 you're stepping forward and saying, wow, in light of it all, Lord, I give myself, I give my life a living offering to you. Let me introduce this passage we're going to look at. Matthew chapter 24. What we see in this passage is this, is that the disciples have this private meeting with Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, just a side note, I I envy that. I look forward to the day when I can have a face-to-face with Jesus, right? But they're having this this, uh, meeting with Jesus, and there's no doubt there are two things going through their minds. On the one hand, they're thankful. On the one hand, these guys truly are filled with gratitude because they know they're meeting with Jesus. They're meeting with the Son of God, God himself. 
And that would just create in them, as they got to know Jesus more and more, more and more gratitude for who he is. But right along with that, it would also be appropriate for us to know that the disciples, they were also carrying this weight of, wow, we know Jesus. And that means something, because not everybody does, and he's, in, he's entrusting us, and so, so this is a big deal. So not only was it this sense of gratitude, but there was also, right with that, there was this sense of responsibility. And what we see in chapter 24 of the book of Matthew, and then we see it carry right through chapter 25, is that Jesus, as he talks to them, as they have this private little meeting, Jesus wants them to not have their focus so much on the day-to-day, but Jesus, in those two chapters, he's pointing their attention forward. He's saying, I I want you to think past kind of your little world here. And he's saying, I want you to think about the future. Particularly, I want you to think about what it's going to be like when I return. What's it going to be like when when Christ returns? And so then in chapter 25, we see that Jesus tells this story to really drive home a point. And you know this. You know that the disciples, after hearing what Jesus said, you know that they walked away with this question in their minds. Here it is. What am I going to do? How will I steward the life that God has entrusted to me? How will I steward? What will I do with the gifts and the talents that God has given to me? How will I steward? I'm grateful, but whoa, I also feel this sense of responsibility. And so how will I steward this life that God has entrusted to me? Look with me at verse 14 of chapter 25. Here it is. Again, it says, It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and he entrusted his property to them. Again, he's talking, he's saying, when he says again, he's saying, hey, this is what it's going to be like in the end. I want you to know what's going to happen. I want you to think future. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To the one, he gave five talents of money. To another, two talents. And to another, one talent. Each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Two things we know right away. We got this manager of this large estate, and this manager of the estate is saying this, the owner of the estate is saying, I want my estate to be in good shape when I return. I want it to grow while I'm gone. And so what am I going to do? I'm not just going to let it sit. I'm going to give this thing, to, I'm going to divide it up to three different people. We also know this, that the owner, he knew these people. He knew them well enough to know, okay, I'm not just going to kind of, you know, just roll the dice. But each, it says, each according to their ability, that's what, they, that's what they received. That's what they were entrusted with. It was very fair. It was right along with their ability. They weren't given more than they can, could bear. He's leaving, and he wants his estate. He wants his property. He wants it to grow. One of the neatest things about uh, being in a church and week in and week out is you get to see the treasure that God puts in people. You get to see how God uniquely gifts and equips. You get to see how God wires people up in different ways. Some of you, you you're good with your hands. You, you can build things and you can create things. Others of you, you're strategic thinkers. You're problem solvers. Some of you are great at leading people. Others of you, you're great at opening your home. Others of you, you can make a three-year-old come in our building and think as though and believe with all their heart this is the best place they could possibly be once a week. You create that for them. And you know the thrill that goes with that. But here's the thing. Just like in that parable, that owner said, I'm giving it according to your ability. We've got to know this right on the onset. Everyone is uniquely gifted by God. Every single person. Everyone. No one gets a pass on that. Every single one of you. And you don't want to pass on it, right? But God has uniquely gifted you. Let's look at how this plays out. Verse 16. 
says the man who had received the five talents, he went at once and he put his money to work and he gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. And then, now you can kind of infer this, that didn't come easily. I mean, there's no doubt about it. There was some work that was involved, right? I mean, the one with two talents went out and, I mean, an awesome return. He came back with four. The one with five came back with ten. I mean, great, great job. Awesome return. But did it come easy? I doubt it. I bet you those servants went away and they thought to themselves, okay, okay, here's how I'm wired up. Here's what I've got. It's been entrusted to me. Didn't tell me even how to do it. Entrusted to me. What will I do? How can I produce? How can I make what I have even greater for the one who owns this estate? Here's the response. Here it is. Verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and he settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And you can just imagine at this point that that servant felt the smile of a master and it meant so much to him. You can just imagine, okay, he wants me to share in his happiness. I did a good job. I got a well done. Don't underestimate the joy that would come from that right there. And then he goes on, verse 22. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And you can just see the smile on the face of that servant, can't you? Yeah, share in your master's happiness. Yes, I would love to. Meaning this, that master looked at that servant and said this, you did exactly what I wanted you to do. I gave you my, t- I gave you my prop, I gave you my precious treasure, and what did you do with it? You went away and you made much of it for me. You did a great job. Think about the, the satisfaction that that would bring. I gave you according to your ability, and what did you do with your ability? You maxed it out. It is a unique thrill, isn't it? Many of you would agree with this because you felt it. It is a unique thrill when you get to use your God-given gifts for furthering the purposes of God. It's it's a thrill. It's a thrill when you get to line up with a God-honoring mission, and you get to see God do great things. It's a thrill for you, whether it takes place right in this room or in this church somewhere, or it takes place in the community. You watch someone walk through the doors. It could be a child. It could be a teen. It could be an adult. And they look as though they've got the weight of the world kind of on their shoulders. And you're, you're a part of ministering to them. And all of a sudden, they leave, and it looks like they got a little hop in their step, and they've got renewed hope. That gives you a thrill. Why? Because you're a part of something huge. Because you're a part of the master's work. Because you're a part of the, the greatest thing you could possibly be. There is no greater thrill, none at all. The third person in the story was entrusted with one talent, and the story looks quite a lot different for that particular person. The third person, for several different reasons, they didn't have a right perspective about the owner of the property. And so the third person, verse 18, what they did was this. They they took their talent, they put it maybe in a jar or something like this, and I don't know what they were thinking, but they, they walked out, And this is all taking place while the other two servants, they're on their way. They're going out. They're going to go and they're going to invest. They're going to do something with this God-given talent they've got. But this servant said this, okay, 
he gave me this, but for some reason, you know what? I don't think that I'm the one to invest it. And so he started to dig a hole. Imagine this. And I'm thinking as he turned the dirt, he probably thought to himself, okay, here's a reason why I'm not going to invest it, and here's another one, and, and here's another one. And finally he said, okay, he put his talent in it, and he said, I'll just I'll cover it up. I'll cover it up. And here's what we know about this servant. The other two did this. The other two had a big vision for what God could do for them. But this last servant, I mean, imagine the emotion that he was going through as you're thinking about this. He's digging the thing that he knew he would be held accountable for. Imagine the fact that when that, when that, servant, when that master returned, this guy was not looking forward to the master's return. He wasn't excited for it. He knew that he would approach the master and that wouldn't be a good conversation. What's true about this person is this. He had a small vision. He had a small vision for what God could do with his talent. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 18 says this. Where there is no vision, what do the people do? They perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Meaning this. This guy had a small vision. Okay, you've, you've given me something, but I'll just, I'll just keep it safe. I'll just go and I'll just cover it up. I'll keep it safe. And then I'll, I'll come and I'll... I'll bring it back, but it won't, be, it won't have grown. I have a small vision, not a big one at all. Don't miss this. In order for your talent to become what it's intended to become, you've got to understand who has entrusted you with the talent. That's the key. You can't miss that. You've got to remember, okay, who does the talent come from? This guy had a small vision. He had lost sight of the fact that the owner looked at him and thought, you can multiply that one talent I'm giving you. I'm not giving you five, I'm not giving you two, but according to your ability, I'm giving you one. And that's a big deal because I know you. But he squandered it. Look at the outcome, verse 24. It says, then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I know, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid and I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And in this moment, I think that there was probably this huge sense of a very big void of pride. Here's what belongs to you. One talent. It's what you entrusted me with. It's one. But there was no pride. There was no, I'm proud of what I did. There was no, wow, I, you know what I did? I, this is how you wired me. I went out and I used my gifts and my talents and I invested and this is what I grew. There's none of that. There was no pride. The scriptures say that this happened because he was afraid. He was afraid, so he didn't take a risk. He didn't step out. And so what did he do? He put his talent in a hole. He put his ability in a hole. Why? Because he was afraid. It's undeniable that there are no shortage of things that cause you and I to put the talent, the God-given treasure that God has put inside of us in a hole and to cover it up for different reasons. There's no shortage of things. For some people, you would just say this, it's, just, it's straight up the busyness of your schedule. I mean, it, it, just, it just keeps you going and going and going, and so you never really even stop, and you don't even have time even to think about what treasure God might want you to step in the water to with. Then there are people that they think this. They say, well, like, like the, the guy in the story, I'm afraid. Well, I really sense that this is how God's wired me, but if I sign up for that, that's a, that's a bit of a risk. It is. How will it go? That's a risk. And so they're afraid. They never take a risk. And then there are other people that this would be true of them. They would say, I know my talent, and I know where it can take me, and I want it to take me this way, but God says, no, 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 no. I want it to go this way. Yes, you've identified it. That's right, but I want you to take your talent, and I want to use it this way, but 
That person says, no, I'm just going to keep going down my own track. But the hardest one is this. The hardest one is the person who doesn't see themselves as God sees them. The person who, when they look in the mirror, they don't see how God created them and how God wired them. And so they look in the mirror and they say, oh, it's just me, little old me, where God's looking at you and he's saying, it's you. I love you. I created you. I created you for something great. I'm giving you this according to your ability. It's not too much. You can do it. But that person underestimates who God is. And they keep looking at themselves and they lose sight of who's the giver of the talent. And why would I use my talent? Not for myself, but for him, for his glory. And so it changes their perspective and they, they don't look at it right. They don't see their treasure that way. They don't take a risk. They don't step out. Henry Cloud has a great quote about risk. Here it is. It's from the book. Avoidance of risk is the greatest risk of all. That person, they never take a step forward. They sit and they stay even though they hear the voice of God and it says, hey, this is how I wired you. This is what I want you to do. But they ignore it and they avoid risk. But that's the greatest risk of all as we'll see in this parable. This parable doesn't end on a happy note, but I think it really does have a life-changing message. Look with me at verse 26. It says, his master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, and I gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have at least put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. He's saying, at least you should have done something with it. At least just give it to the bank. Let them create something. Verse 28, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. And for everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You could summarize this parable with this one sentence. Here it is. I get to choose how I invest the talents that I've been given, and one day I'll give an account for how I've invested I get to choose. God says, I've given you this talent to, to take and to do great things. I get to choose how I get to invest my talents. But one day, one day I'll give an account for how I chose to invest my talents. It's a powerful statement. Ashlyn, our six-year-old daughter, uh, the other night, uh, she asked the question. She said this. She said, why is it that there are different places in the world that don't have clean drinking water? And I thought, wow, that's a good question for a six-year-old. And I said, well, well um, you happen to live in a place that's heavily resourced. And uh, a lot of the world doesn't have the blessings that you have, when you, live, when you live here. And so that's why there are parts of the world that they worry about small things like clean drinking water. And she said to me, um, uh, okay, you know, and, and, and that made sense. And so then we responded back to her and we said, you know, it's our responsibility. It's our church's responsibility and, and then I said, Ashlyn, it's, it's your responsibility to make sure that you take this blessing that you have and you make sure that you, you do good. I didn't want her to feel like the weight of the world to, you know, clean water for the whole world. But, you know, I was, I was laying it on pretty thick with her. And so she, you know, thought about that for a little bit. I turned around, I'm doing the dishes, and she said to me, she said, Dad, this boy at school said that kids like me, kids like us, he was talking to a group of us, can't do big things. We're just kids. And I was doing the dishes in my back toward her, and I mumbled something on my breath that I was glad she didn't hear. And, and so I, I, I turned around, and I said, well, what did you think of what that boy said? And she said, I didn't, I didn't believe him. 
That's how you get ice cream in our house. You talk like that, right? You think, right? <laughs> but here's the deal. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a naysayer in your life? Someone who, you know, you felt like, wow, this is, this is a burden I've got. This is what God wants me to do. But somebody said, no, you can't do that. You're, you're too young. You're too old. Whatever it would be. Have you ever had a fear in your life that's just crippled you? Something that doesn't allow you just to take the step that you just, you feel like God maybe would nudge you to? Have you ever had that? Let me ask you, are you experiencing the thrill of using your gifts for the kingdom of God? Are you experiencing the thrill? I'm telling you, it's a rush like no other. It's better than any other one. Are you experiencing that? Are you proud? Are you not like that third steward who, that third servant who showed up, and we know he wasn't proud? Master, here's what I have for you. Or are you, would you say, you're going to go before God and you're going to say, God, you gave me this, you gave me this treasure. You gave me my one and only life. Here's what I've done with it. And are you looking forward to God saying, well done, well done. I'm so confident that God has gifted every single person in this room with a gift and a, and a, and a talent and a purpose from God because we see it directly in his word. I want to think about this for a second. Imagine this stage, just along, there's a long line right in the front of it. Imagine that clear over here on, on this end is this. This is your birth, right? And so you're going through life, and, and for some of you, you came to know Christ early. For others of you, it took a little bit longer. But let's just say you're at a point, for some of you don't know him yet, but let's say this, you're at a point where you accepted Christ. We'll say that that marks it right here. Well, from this point on, this is where you go, whoa, my gratitude tank is very full, right? And now my responsibility tank is also, I'm starting to feel the weight of that. So now I've got for all these days until Christ returns. When Christ comes back, that's when I get to give an account for the treasure that he's put in me. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this about the time in between. Here it is. For we are God's workmanship, it says, and we're created in Christ Jesus. Why are we created? What for? Here it is. We're created to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're God's handiwork. We're his beautiful masterpiece. And why were we created? Why were we given this treasure to do good works? Which ones? Well, the ones that God prepared. Remember, this is God's treasure. This isn't about me. This isn't about you. This is about God. Amazing passage. Know this. God knew before you were even born. This blows my mind. God knew before you were even born. He knew this is how I'm going to wire him up. This is how she's going to be gifted. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to expect she's going to do X, Y, and Z with her life because that's how I wired her. And if she'll surrender to me, whoa, I'm going to do great things, good works. I'm going to see her do good works, which I, God would say, prepared in advance for you to do. It's amazing. The Apostle Paul in chapter 15, he was elaborating on all of this. And if you read all of chapter 15, you know that he talks about what it's going to be like when Christ returns. And he says at one point later on in the chapter, he says it's going to be like, this, to be like the blink of an eye, that Christ is going to return. And it leaves his readers going, okay, wow, Christ is going to return. And so I've got this talent, so what am I going to do with this treasure and this, this talent? And then Paul summarizes at the end of it. He says this big therefore statement. And then he works down a little bit more. And then he says this. He says, always, here it is, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. He says, because you know that your labor in the Lord, here it is, is not in vain. So fun the other night to have this room filled with our volunteers who are doing a lot of ministry around here and to be able to say them to them, it's not in vain. 
how should I steward my gift? Paul says, give yourself not halfway, fully. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know this. When you use your treasure for the, the purposes of God, it's not in vain. That's amazing news for you and I. Many of you know what it means to be successful. Many of you, you have had great hand over fist success in the marketplace or in other areas of your life. You know what it means to use your gifts. You know what it means. You've had success. But let me ask you the question. Have you ever pondered, okay, God, you've gifted me in this way, and that's a good thing. Keep doing that. But have you ever asked the question, how can the gifts that God's given me, how can I use them to further the purposes of God? How can I take this thing, this beautiful masterpiece, this treasure that I have inside of me, and how can I use it to further the kingdoms of God, the purposes of God? It doesn't get any better than that. Have you ever asked yourself that question? Ponder that. I want to get very practical with you because I think when you think about your treasure, you might wonder this question. It's a, it's a very logical, it's a good question. How do you know what treasure God has put in you? How do you know what it is? I want to give you three things. First of all, I want, to, I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you, and I want you to do it either today or I would say tomorrow. I think if you wait till Friday, you'll forget it. It will be over, and we'll be back here again, and I'll say, did you do it? And you'll say no. So I want you to do it soon, sooner than later. I want you to get away for an hour, maybe two hours, and I want you to go before the Lord, and I want you to ask some very simple questions. I want you to say, God, how have you uniquely gifted me? God, what are the things that you've put on my heart, Lord? How have you wired me up? And I want you just to spend some time just to say, okay, God, I want to hear from you. Because I don't know about you, in the clutter of life, I, I can't hear from God. I have to pull away. We see this modeled in the life of Jesus. Over and over, we see it modeled. Jesus, what would he do? We see it after hard times. We see it after he performed miracles. We see it when he was going into, right before he went to the cross. What did he do? He pulled away. And Jesus had time with his heavenly father. And I bet you this, I bet you his vision was made grand again. I bet you it was like, oh, okay. And that's what happens to us. This guy had a small vision of, what, of his talent. Let's go away. Let's get away and say, Lord, I just want to hear from you. And let God retell you the things that he maybe has once told you or maybe things that you've never asked him. He'll lay on your heart. Number two, do this. Ask yourself this question. What burdens you? Ask yourself the question, what do you wish would be different about this world that we live in? What bothers you? Sometimes we take what bothers us and we put it in a little category and we say, since it bothers me, it frustrates me, and then that puts me in a bad mood, and so I, don't wanna, I just don't want to go there. But instead of doing that, ask yourself the question, what burdens you, what bothers you, and then feed it. Dig into that. And say, okay, God, oh, is there something here? Obviously, this... Maybe it's, maybe it's the poor. Uh, maybe it's people who don't know Christ. Whatever it would be, what burdens you? I asked Pastor Steve this week. I said, when did you decide to take a risk? I said, when did you decide to take the risk with no property, no building, uh, no big congregation? When did you decide to step out and take the risk to plant a local church? When did you do that? He said, well, I was 25 years old. I was in seminary. And I, felt, I just felt like that, that God wanted me to, to plant a church. So I, I did it. And he said, Jeff, though, there was a much bigger trigger for me. He said it was when I was 18 years old. He said, God began to burden my heart and God awakened a burden within me that there were people who were far from God. 
And he said, I had a passion in life. I felt like I had a gifting maybe to be a great architect someday. I always wanted to become one. But there became a point where he said, you know what? My burden is this, and this is where I feel the nudge of God. Now think about that for a second. God took that burden. He began to, Steve began to feed that burden. And he said, well, what's most important to me now? He said, it's, it's changed lives. It's people, they, they come in, they, maybe they don't know Jesus Christ. We see him in our city. You're here today. They say, wow, can we create a place where people who are far from God can find him? There'd be nothing greater. It'd be the greatest thrill I could give my life to. And so that was a burden. God took that burden and he, he equipped it with gifting that God blessed. And now here we sit together as a church. <laughs> I was thankful for that this week. I thought to myself, I'm glad he didn't ignore that burden. What burden has God put inside of you? Instead of running away from it, feed it. And number three, here it is. When you lean into your burden, when you, I mean, if you get serious, if you take this seriously, Matthew 25, and you say, okay, here's how God has gifted me, there is going to be very quickly you'll become discouraged. But I want to encourage you this. When you become discouraged, don't think so much about the gift that God has given you. Think about the God who gives the gift. Think about the size of your God. Think about the fact that you have the, the maker of the entire universe chose you to be his workmanship. And so don't focus on you. Focus on the greatest God. Focus on our God. It's amazing. When those disciples, when they met with Jesus, they asked him this question. They walked away, I'm sure, with this, with this right in their minds. Here it is. How will I steward, how will I steward this life that God has entrusted to me? What will I do with it? How will I steward it? Know this, God sees you and God saw them and he looked at these guys and he said, you've been blessed. He said, man, he looked at this guy, he said, wow, I've given you this. And, and wow, if you're going to take a talent, here's how, you should, here's how you should. But he looked at each one of them and he knew, I've uniquely wired you up. And I would imagine this, if that third guy could have gotten a do-over, he, he would have done something incredibly different. I bet you he would have ran over to that pile, he'd have dug it up, and he'd have gone out and said, okay, boom, I know, God has put a treasure in me, here's how I will, here's how I'll use my investment. But because of fear or whatever else, he didn't, he didn't do it. And I want to just ask you this morning, how will you steward the treasure that God has put in you? What if this morning, what if this morning each one of us Instead of waiting another day, instead of waiting another week, what if each one of us, we did this instead, we, we walked over to the pile because for some of you, you would say, the guy after first service said, I realized today, he said in Matthew 25, he said, I realized I'm the treasure. I said, you're right on. That's exactly right. But what if you, and you would say this, I've, I've buried the treasure, and maybe it was because of fear, my encouragement to you today is to this, to push the fear aside. My encouragement to you today is this. Maybe you'd say, you know what? I need to dig it up, and the reason why it's covered up is because I listen to people and what they said. Maybe for you, you would say, you know what? I've just been paralyzed by fear. I feel like, yeah, God has gifted me, but I'm afraid to express it. I would ask you, would you just pull that away, and would you be the kind of person, would we be the kind of people this morning that we would say this, okay, God, and would we pray, or pray a very simple prayer like this? Lord, you've given me a treasure. You've uniquely wired me. Every single person, nobody gets a pass, thank God. And God, I want to take my talent and I want to use it for you. I want to further the purposes of God. It's clear how you've gifted me, God. I want to take that and use it for you. You know, as I was thinking about this message, there were three groups that came to my mind, three different kind of age demographics. And I just want to say one thing to each. The first group is this. If you're a young person here today, 
I just want to say this to you. I want to encourage you. Don't get distracted with the way that God has gifted you. Don't get distracted. Don't get sidetracked. Don't believe the lie that when you grow up, then you can be used by God. That's a foolish statement. Let God use you. Don't waste a day. Don't get sidetracked. Easton, our youngest, um, our youngest child, he's three years old. He was, I was putting him to bed the other night, and I said to him, um, you know, I was tucking him in, and he's a cute little blonde-haired little kid, and, you know, there's his little head on this big pillow. All you could see was his head, covers all the way up to his neck, and, and I said to him what a mentor I've heard says to his kids quite often, and so I've been saying this to my children, and I, I said to him, again, I said, I said, Easton, I want you to know that God has big dreams for your life, and you don't want to miss them. And uh, he looked back at me, and, and he said to me, he said, Dad, how, how can I not miss the dreams for me life? You know, it's kind of like speaking French, you know, whatever. <laughs> that was pretty cool. And I said to him, I said, Easton, you just keep your eyes on Jesus. I said, you pursue Christ. And I didn't get all emotional. I didn't want to scare him, you know. But, um, but I said, just keep your eyes on God. He'll take you. Young people, please hear this. Keep going. Don't get sidetracked. If you're in a middle age category, and I'll let you decide whether you're in that category or not. <laughs> but I just want to say this to you. As you think about your treasure, the biggest temptation for you is potentially this. I'll get to it when things slow down a little bit. I'll get to it when I feel a little bit more comfortable, when X, Y, and Z is established and we're good to go. Then I'll open this whole idea of how God can use my life. Let me just say to you, don't wait. Don't waste another day not getting the thrill of being used by God. Don't wait another day. Jump in. Put your toe in the water. Test the waters. They're good. And then to the last group, the older crowd, better known as the wiser crowd, right? I just want to say this. If I could, I just want to say this to you. Your run is not over. It's not over. Our church is filled with a young generation. We're thankful for that. Let me say this, older generation. Your run is not over. This church desperately needs you. Your local church needs you to thrive. We need you. You have experiences. You have wisdom. You have knowledge. You have things that we, we need. And so don't say to yourself, oh, I'm done. I'm just an add-on. No, you're not an add-on. You are a necessity. Your run is not over, if I could say that. I love it when I hear of someone in their 60s that is pursuing a, a higher education degree. I love it. I love it when you hear about someone that's pursuing a second or a third career in their 60s or 70s because they, you know, they felt like God wired them this way and they never had time for it, but now they're making time and, and they're just, they're thriving. And I love it when you hear this, you hear someone who's dedicated their life to serving other people because they can. And so they're saying, you know what, this is how God's gifted me, I'll give my whole life to serving other people for God. This is kind of fun for the older generation. Colonel Harold Sanders, let me read you his brief story here. He was a sixth grade dropout. He was a farm, a farm hand. He was an army mule tender, a locomotive fireman, a railroad worker, an aspiring lawyer, an insurance salesman, a ferry boat entrepreneur, a tire salesman, an amateur obstetrician, an unsuccessful political candidate, a gas station operator, a hotel operator, and finally at the age of 65, he started a franchise called Kentucky Fried Chicken. Not bad is it for being of retirement age. Your run is not over. 
Your run is not over. Church, I want to ask you, I want to ask us this question. Would we be the kind of people this morning that we would say, God, you've given me a treasure and I'm not going to squander it. God, you've put this thing inside of me. I'll do the hard work. I'll do the diligence of figuring out how I can apply it and how I can plug in. Would you do that? Would we be the people that we would say, you know what, I'm going to do the hard work. I'm going to dig it up because I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for the, my great God and what he's done for me. Let's be that kind of people. Let me, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Father, thank you for Ma- Matthew chapter 25. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would awaken maybe something in some of us this morning. Maybe, Lord, we've just put on the dirt on this talent that you've given us for whatever reason it might be. Maybe we were afraid. Maybe we we're insecure. Maybe, Lord, we never realized how you see us. But I would pray this morning that you would shed new light on that, Lord. And Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to be able to approach you one day and you would say to us, well done. And so, Lord, this week we say we're going to dig it up and we're going to ask, okay, Lord, what's the treasure that you've put inside of me? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.